We are in First Peter chapter two. Um, back in November, my wife's uncle, who was a position coach for the Oregon Ducks for about 15 years, he invited me and my brother-in-law to come up and to go to the Civil War with him at Autzen Stadium. So I said, okay. And when we went up there, he gave us these badges. This is a picture of it. Now it'd be back quite a bit from that. First slide. Maybe? Well, they gave us a badge. It was brilliant. I've never, normally it's that, you know, you print out a ticket or whatever. So we got this badge and uh, it's all duck stuff. So I put it on and I instantly had an allergic reaction to it. I'm like, ugh, getting hives right now? I don't know why. Uh, but you, you go to the stadium and you like take this elevator up and uh, you enter this room and it's this really nice room. It's got like plush carpet. It was like 28 degrees out that day. And it's like 72 degrees in there and you're kind of waiting to get checked in. And I'm looking around and there's this big like freezer and I go look at it and it's full of like Haagen-Dazs ice creams and stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. And this guy, he's in a full suit. He's like, would you like one, sir? And you know, I'm hot and seeing him, everything's expensive. French fries are 20 bucks. I'm like, well, how much are they? He said, for you, they're free. I'm like, really? Well, I'll take 10 of them then. Give them here, right? So, so like, you get checked in and um, like, it's, it's like no game I've ever been to because uh, you get checked in and you go into this suite and the suite is like, it's like a house, right? And the whole front of it is glass and the glass disappears. And so the whole time, even though the glass is gone, it's still 72 degrees in there. So I'm looking out at these people, the peons down there, and they're wrapped like in down comforter shivering. I'm in a t-shirt going, wow, it's hot in here, man. And then the food, like you go over and you're like, well, uh, what can I have? What would you like, sir? I'd like a steak. How would you like it cooked, sir? Well, I'd like a medium rare uh, sirloin steak. They make it for you right there. It was just unbelievable. Unbelievable, incredible. And then looking through the glass, two windows down, there sitting just concentrating on the game is Phil Knight. Uncle Phil, I'm like, I'd like to talk to him. I got an idea, Phil. <laughs> Can you uh, give some money over the other way? There's a place about 40 miles from here. They're poor. Uh, and then uh, at halftime, you, you kind of go and you're walking around and the badge gets you in anywhere. Like you'll come to this door and there'll be a guard there. He'll just look at your badge and be like, come on in. I'm like, this is crazy. Like these are all the places I tried to sneak into when I was a college student, and now they're letting me in. If you only knew that, you'd arrest me right now. So it was just, it was just incredible. And then I'm, I'm, I'm in this group, and, and John Neal, he knows all of them. He's my wife's uncle. And they're talking about uh, their kids and plans, and they've been doing this for 20 years, coming to this same place for every home game. Like they, they have this, this thing that's happening there. And they all knew like when to stand up and they all had these like chants that they would start talking and at the same time, it was like, it was like a liturgy. I'm like, there's like a liturgy here and there's like this community here and they tapped into something in that moment and you could feel it. And then the other thing that happened that same day is um, I've never gone to CrossFit before. So I'm not a CrossFitter, but my wife's uncle's son-in-law runs a CrossFit gym up in Eugene. So he's like, hey, you guys wanna go? I'm like, sure, I'd love to check this out. So we go there and I'll be honest with you, like it did not make sense to me. 
There, there is a language at CrossFit that you, you don't even understand. So the guy's up front just telling us what we're going to be doing. And I'm sitting there just going, what? I don't know if we have these, but the first one was like, do we have this word? Nope. It was AMRAP. And I'm like, is that music? No, it's as many rounds as possible, but everything's an acronym. And then they're like, one of these man makers. I'm like, well, I'll be good at that then. Go ahead. And then the man makers are gonna be done EMOM. And EMOM is, I thought it was like, what is this? Like, a, is this Islam? Or is this like an electronic mother? What is this? It's every minute on the minute. So there's just like this lingo that if you are new to CrossFit, you're absolutely lost. You're like, what in the world? And I don't wanna embarrass my uncle, my wife's uncle. So you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll be doing that. Here's the really cool thing about CrossFit though. Everybody helps you. Like a normal gym, you go to the gym because it's you, you're getting your workout. CrossFit is kind of like us, we're together, we're doing this all at the same time. Like everyone's encouraging each other, yelling, man, great job to other people as they're doing the same thing. They come over to me and my brother-in-law, Clyde, hey, you guys are doing awesome, try this. It was really, you know, you think it's a cult and it probably actually is a cult, but there's something that they're hitting right at CrossFit. There's this like dynamic that is really, really cool. Like, hey, this thing, it's about us. It's about doing something together. It's about community. It's not about you getting a workout, but all of us together. It was really interesting. So those two events were something that like in my mind, I knew they're hitting on some of the deepest needs that humans have. And Peter now is gonna grab those things and say, listen, Good news. So grab your Bible. Are the slides gonna work or am I on my own? Hey, hey, there we go. Okay, so you missed a really cool picture. Sorry. Come back next service. So Peter hits on this and, and he does something brilliant. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you... are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you know your Bible, Peter's doing this biblical theology and he is grabbing this phrase from Exodus 19, massive chapter, and he's bringing it in and saying, hey, good news. As believers in Jesus, something amazing has happened to you, good news. But almost like CrossFit, there's, there, they, they can be, these things can be new terms. Like, what do these things mean? So we're gonna look at four maybe new terms for you that define this great thing that you've been brought into called the church, and they're brilliant. So number one is this, you're chosen. You are desired. You're chosen, you're desired. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 16. He said, you did not choose me, I chose you. He says this in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me 
unless the Father has drawn them. It's this idea that's really throughout the Bible that God chooses you and me. He has chosen you. You are desired by God, so much so that he said, I'm choosing you. So why did he choose you? Is it because you're the best? Is it because you are USDA prime? Is it because you're a stallion? Did God look down and say, man, you're a first round draft pick. I need you on my team. You've got mad skills. I can't do this without you. Is that why God shows you? No, sorry. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter seven, what it says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. That's in here. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you. God just decided not because you and I were great, not because we are something wonderful, not because we're the most attractive people, not because we're the most smart people, right? Read 1 Corinthians chapter one. Look around, Paul says to the church. There's not many noble, there's not many wise, there's not many PhDs here, there's not many you know, Instagram influencers here. But God chose you because he loves you. He chose you and set his love on you because he loves you, period. Here's what's so cool about being chosen by God. So if you can remember back, for some of us, it's getting harder and harder, when you dated your spouse, or maybe right now you are dating, there's this commitment dance, right, in the dating process. And it's this kind of, who is, how much is she into me? How much is he into me, right? That, that kind of question, and so you're always trying to figure that out. Is she dating me because I'm a rebound guy and then she's gonna move on? Is she dating me because I'm the funny guy but she doesn't like me in that way? And so you're trying to gather clues when you're dating, right? And maybe you're talking to her friends like, hey, or maybe you get desperate and you talk to her mother. Hey, has your daughter said anything? About what? I don't know, about the weather, her job. COVID-19, me, right? Because you're trying to figure out, is she committed? Has she chosen me, right? That's what you're trying to figure out. Well, here's our hope. When you look at this biblical idea, we went all the way back to Deuteronomy. You can go back before that. You can go back to Abraham. This, this idea that God chooses, here's what that means. Here's our great hope. Since he is the initiator, since he's the one that says, I chose you, what that means is this, his side is stronger. His side is greater. It means he will not cast you off. It means he put himself out there first. That's what it means. And with that come all these beautiful promises. I'll give you a couple. Hebrews 13, verse five says this. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, because he's chosen us and he won't leave us, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. When you get how chosen you are, fear of men, fear of this world, it just disappears. I was chosen 
by God. Jesus says this, it says last words to his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why? Because I chose you. I'm committed to you, right? Or Isaiah 43, verse one, says this. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. What a great verse that is. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Why? Because the creator and the sustainer has chosen you. You are desired. You are called. God put himself out there first. He chose you. Okay, great, Matt. I was chosen. What, what was I chosen to be? Am I chosen to be a bench warmer? Am I chosen to be a water boy? What am I chosen to be? Here's what you're chosen to be. Here's your position, number two. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Your position as one of God's chosen people is to be a royal priest. If you're a Bible person, you know this. That's a weird combination. It'd be like saying you're a meat-eating vegetarian. It's a weird combination because the Old Testament made it illegal for anyone to occupy both positions of a king, royalty, and priest. One king tried it. His name is King Uzziah. You can read his story. King Uzziah tried to be priest as well as king, and he was struck down with leprosy and removed from the kingdom. That's how seriously God took this ordinance. You can't be both, right? But you and I, it says this, we're both. We're a king and we're a priest. So what changed? Jesus came, destroyed the dark powers that actually usurped our authority, and has given us the right, if you go back to Genesis 1, to retake our proper place as royal priesthoods. That's the work of Jesus. So now, here's what this means. It means this. Don't call me Pastor Matt anymore. Call me King Matt. Right? And you too. You're a king. You're a queen. And here's what's incredible to me. I know me. I didn't grow up in Camelot, right? I grew up at 1111 Southwest Foundry here in Grants Pass. It's not the good part of town. We actually, as kids, referred to it as felony flats, right? That's what it was. It was bad part of town. I grew up, my dad left when we were five, and he had nothing to do with my family from that point on. Gone, right? And I can remember actually coming back to church in my early 20s, and I'd be sitting in church up in Corvallis or here in Southern Oregon, and I'd be hearing about a preacher talk about how important his dad was to him. How the words or the mentoring or the work of his father meant so much to him. I remember sitting there in the pew thinking, boy, that didn't happen for me. I don't have that blessing. I don't have that mentoring. I missed out. I remember thinking in those moments like, well, I guess I'm damaged goods. I guess whatever could have been in my life will not be because I didn't have that. Didn't have that. But then something changed one day. And I'm not discounting the importance of dads and dads speaking, blessing, and bestowing that upon their sons. That's huge. But I heard a more powerful voice, the voice of my heavenly father that said to me, Matt, you're my king. You are my king. I'll tell you, that transformed my life. 
As important as an earthly father is, there's no comparison to your heavenly father saying to you, you're my king. You're my king. You are a royal priesthood. It's brilliant. And here's what's amazing, this combination. And if you've never heard that before, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, listen to me. You are his king and you are his queen. That's what the Bible says, that we will rule and reign with him for eternity, the end of the book says. Brilliant. But here's what's amazing about the combination of king and, a king and priest. Kings had authority, but they had no access to the temple. They couldn't go in to the Holy of Holies in God's presence. So they had authority without access. Priests, they could go into the Holy of Holies, but they had no authority. So one has access and the other has authority, but they're both missing something, right? So priests, we get them both. Priests have access. They could make it in. And I'll tell you, there is a deep need in us to feel like we have access inside. Like a lot of our life, if you look at it, a lot of our life is straining to get inside some kind of an imaginary group that we think if we got there, we'd be happy. There's a great essay actually by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Inner Ring Today, but it's actually, it was actually a graduation speech that C.S. Lewis gave in 1944 during World War II to the King's College. And it's called The Inner Ring, How Good Men do evil, how to get good men to do evil things. And what he argues in this graduation speech is look out for this. There's a desire in all of us to be on the inside, a desire to be in that group, the management team, the cool kids at school, right? That, that group that's doing awesome things. We're always striving to try to get in. I wanna be an elder at that church, whatever it is. I wanna be a, we always see this inner ring out there if I could just get in there. He said, but here's the problem with the inner ring. Every time you get in, you want something more. He says, it's like peeling an onion. Finally, you'll get to the end of it and there's no onion left. And you're going, what happened to me? And you're striving for this place, this position, this inside thing ends up, you're without friends, you've got nothing because you've been motivated by the wrong thing. The strive, this quest for the inner ring. So here's his famous quote, I'll give it to you. As soon as your new associates have been staled to you by custom, you'll be looking for another ring. The rainbow's end will be still ahead of you. You must break the quest for the inner ring or it will break you. Look out for this thing, this drive to get inside. So Freud would say that drive in us to want to get into an inner ring came from the fact that your mom and dad failed you. They didn't hug you enough. They didn't bestow enough blessing on you. They weren't there for you enough, whatever it is. I think it's much older than that. I think the drive to get into the inner ring actually goes back to the book of Exodus or the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve were in the inner ring. They were in shalom with the inner ring, the Trinity. They walked and talked with God in the cool of the evening and then they blew it and they were exiled from Eden and all of us went back into that inner ring. Well, here's what the gospel says to you and me. You're in. You have access. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 puts it like this. You can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain help in your time of need. That you and I can march right into God's quarters, his castle, 
and say, God, I need help right here. You and I are on the inside. It's what happened to us. When you understand this, you become bulletproof. I call it the breastplate of righteousness. You're protected. There's no inner ring anymore. You're not driven by people or peer pressure or anything anymore. People can't get you to do evil things. Why? Because you're protected. You know, I'm already on the inside. I'm a priest. I have access. Secondly, though, kings had authority. Can I challenge you to read the book of Acts again? How amazing is the book of Acts? They walked around, these guys that were fishermen, nobody's in the land. They walked around the, the time of Acts with what I call a humble swagger. Acts chapter three, Peter's walking to the temple. A guy born, blind, born crippled by the side of the road. He goes, silver and gold have I none. I don't have that kind of royalty, but I got a different kind. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what did the guy do? Stood up and started walking. That's authority. Or Acts 13, Paul is preaching the gospel to the governor of the land. His name is Sergius Paulus. And there's this wizard named Elimus who doesn't like it because he can see, uh-oh, my authority is gonna slip here. So he starts to try to back talk and, and mix things up. Paul looks at this guy, Elimus, and just says, you're going to be blind. And the man goes blind. And Sergius Paulus, the governor's like, I'll believe in that. That's the kind of authority I don't even have. What is this? And it's amazing. They had this just swagger in the Bible, in the book of Acts, because they knew we're kings, we're queens. It may be like this. A bunch of years ago, my son Elijah was five. And there's a process where your kid's trying to figure out what you are, right? So Elijah was like, dad, are you the boss of Edgewater? And those are dangerous questions, right? So I rarely answer those kind of questions. I always answer them with a question. I said, well, why do you ask? Well, dad, I wanna know, do you own Edgewater? I said, well, what would it matter if I owned Edgewater? He said, well, here's what. Um, I wanna go to the office if you own it and I wanna take out all the chairs and I wanna play soccer inside there. This is what I told my son. I said, you own Edgewater. And I'd say that to any five-year-old that walks in here. You own Edgewater. It's yours. You're the one that has authority. You're the one that owns this. It's your place. Enjoy it. Go for it. Do we know the authority that God has given to us? I think of John Knox, one of my heroes of the faith. He said this of Scotland. Give me Scotland, God, or I die. And he transformed Scotland. Theologically, Scotland even to this day, the theology that Scotland has produced is unrivaled in modern history. Why? Because of John Knox. Because he said, give me Scotland or I die. Queen Mary, bloody Queen Mary that was trying to stamp out Protestants said this, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than the armies of Scotland. Why? Because he had authority. What if we did stuff like that? The Second Great Awakening. Read about it, it's amazing. You know, the police were put on furlough in England because they didn't need them anymore because of the Great Awakening. There just was no crime anymore. Bars shut down. Why? Because people walked around with a humble swagger. This is God's land. And we're kings and queens in it. And we're taking this land back. Amazing. What, what if we did that? Give me Grant's Pass or I die. Or if you're really bold, give me Portland or I die. <laughs> it could use some John Knox. 
I mean, that's the way the book of Acts goes down. It wasn't easy for them. They got persecuted and slaughtered at times, but it never changed their perspective. We are kings and queens. This is God's place. We're walking with authority. This is the promise God makes. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine. It says, God's eyes go to and fro across the whole earth looking for someone to show himself strong on their behalf. A John Knox, an Edgewater person that says, give me this. God says, that's what I was waiting for. That's what I was waiting for because you're a royal priest. You're a royal priest. How brilliant is that? We're chosen. We've got a position as, with both authority and access as royal priests. And then even better than that, we now belong to something. We are, he says, a holy nation. We're citizens. We have a brand new citizenship and our citizenship is in this thing called the holy nation. So what the ducks and what CrossFit are tapping into is the need for people to belong, to be part of something bigger than themselves, right? That's what they're tapping into. So yeah, it's great, I'm a royal priest, but if I'm all alone, that doesn't mean anything. Well, you're not alone. You're part of something. You become a citizen of the holy nation. So back in February, Edgewater sent a team to Africa. And when we went to Africa, we went to Uganda and looked at what the Folkstad family had done there and the fish farm that's still going, that's brilliant. Um, people actually come from, when we were there fixing some things on it, a group actually came and wanted to check out what was happening to try to replicate the same thing somewhere else. And the fish that are raised there are there to feed the, the school kids that are going to the school that belong to the church right next door. So it's just an awesome, like, symbiotic relationship. It's amazing. So we went there, and then we went over to Kenya, and we had a meal with the Maasai. Um, I showed some pictures of that. And the Maasai are known for three things. They jump, like if you ever do a video, jump high like the Maasai, right? They just, they're amazingly high jumpers. Um, number two, they raise cows, like they're known for raising cows. And number three, to become a man in the Maasai tribe, you have to barehanded kill a lion. Now that's a different kind of 18-year-old birthday. Oh, you're 18? Oh, good. Go kill a lion with your bare hands, right? So they're a pretty amazing tribe. So we went and we had a meal with the Maasai, and we had this great meal and we were done because it's the Messiah and they're into cows. It was, we need to all drink milk together. So like, oh, hold on a second. They literally went out and milked the cow right then. And they brought it back and you've got this hot day with a steaming hot glass of milk. And you're just like, oh no. All right. And it's just bottoms up, drink it. One of our guys is lactose intolerant. He drank it anyways. I said, dude, why'd you do that? He goes, these guys kill lions. I'm gonna drink their milk. Just, all right, no problem, dude. Let's drink the milk. All right, and then from there, we went to New Song Chapel, a church that we've been supporting for about a decade, and, and they're right by the Makuru slums there, and, and just brilliant. And we had this big feast with the church. And I remember I was sitting there in this big feast with the church, having a meal with guys in Uganda, and then the Maasai tribe, and now with New Song Chapel. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. That's my nationality. Before anything else, I'm a Christian, that I belong to this holy nation that the Maasai tribe is part of, that Ugandans are part of, that Kenyans are part of, 
that South Koreans are part of, that Chinese are part of. Like, that's number one. I am part of this incredible thing that stretches across the globe, and it's my most defining thing. How cool is that? It means anywhere you and I go on this world that belongs to God, we find people, fellow citizens, citizens of the kingdom, and it's bigger than my whiteness or my race or my country of origin or the brand of church I go to. It's bigger than all that. That right now in Josephine County, there are churches meeting right now, River Valley and Parkway and Calvary Chapel and Faith Presbyterian and Vineyard and on and on. And they are fellow citizens of the same holy nation that I belong to. It's amazing. It stretches across the globe. It stretches back into history. It's gonna echo forward into history that you and I, number one, we belong to this thing called the holy nation. And it taps into the deepest need that we have to belong, bigger than CrossFit, bigger than the ducks, bigger than anything. We belong to a holy nation. And here's what this is all to mean. It's like an infomercial, right? And it gets better, there's more. One more thing. Here's what this is supposed to do to all of us. When you understand that you're a chosen royal priest with a new citizenship in the holy nation that's gonna last for eternity, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a mission now. And our mission is to proclaim his excellencies. What does proclaim mean? Use words. Like sometimes we get in this weird thing that, well, you know, words don't matter. Actually, they do. We are to be those that use our words, that we proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The New Testament has a thousand indicatives, actually 1,040 indicatives. Indicatives are commands, that there are 1,040 things in the New Testament that says, hey, this is what you ought to be doing. Number one, premium, top of the list, this one right here. We should be proclaiming about how good Jesus is, his excellency. Matt, that's legalistic. Really? Really? Anyone here know someone that goes to CrossFit? What are they always talking about? Right? Anybody here know anyone that is a giant duck football fan? What are they always talking about? Do you ever hear them talk about the excellencies of duck football? Get two duck football fans together. What are they gonna talk about? The excellencies of duck football, right? That's what they're gonna talk about. It naturally happens. Why? Because they love duck football. Because they love CrossFit. What should happen when you get two believers together? And we should be talking about the excellencies of him who brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That should just be the natural conversation. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? So here's your application, it's super simple. And it's COVID-19 time, and I get that, so you gotta figure out how to do it. But here's what I would say. Grab a meal with other members of the holy nation and toast your king. Grab a meal and talk about how good Jesus has been to you. I'll tell you, that's the antidote to all this that's happening in our world right now. The antidote is this mission. Proclaim how good Jesus has been because it transforms your soul. Oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot how good I have it, right? It's like sometimes I need to go on the mission field because when I come back to America, I remember how good I got it. I forget. I just become accustomed to it. 
We need to, to each other, be provoking and proclaiming how good we have it because it's the antidote to the lies of our media and the lies of this world right now that tell us it's really bad. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Peter is saying something here. Get together. Remember your royal priests. Remember you've been chosen by Jesus. Remember that you're part of his holy nation and tell each other about it because what will happen is you'll be reminded nobody has it better than us. Nobody has it better than us. And that's the most powerful antidote to the craziness of our world right now. Nobody has it better than us. Book of Acts, they went through really bad things, but they kept proclaiming, Acts chapter five, nobody has it better than us. Nobody has it better than us. And so we come to the table and we take communion. And part of communion is real simple. Nobody has it better than us. Communion is this. It's an invitation to the king's table. You get to have a meal with the king. So grab your communion, and we're gonna proclaim to each other the excellencies of him who bought us, purchased us, redeemed us out of darkness into light. So Jesus, this day, may each of us be reminded of how good you are to us. May we be ones that proclaim to each other, if God the Father, if you spared not your only son, but you delivered him up on our behalf, how shall you not with him give us all good things? That today, you have good things for every believer in Jesus because we're chosen because we're royal, because we're priests, because we're citizens of the holy nation. May we be quick to be grateful and may we be quick to proclaim your excellencies. Let's eat together. And Jesus, we drink drink the cup of forgiveness. We, tr we drink the cup of remission. We drink the cup of celebration. We drink a cup of hope that with this cup, you said, do this until I return and then I'll drink it with you. So we drink this morning in anticipation of the return of the king. We look at our world and we see there needs to be a king, a righteous king, a servant king, a king who gives and does not take, a king who loves even to the loss of his own life. That's the kind of king our world needs. And so this day, we drink in expectation of your return when you will set things right when all that is evil will be destroyed will be undone will be made untrue and all that is good and holy and royal and priestly will reign for eternity so I pray for those this morning who came in anxious and worried may we drink hope drink hope. 
Let's drink together. Amen.